Innovation and discovery have flourished at Carolina since its founding. Centuries later, these two things continue to play a major role in creating a sustainable campus. Here on the Sustainable Carolina podcast, we talk with Tar Heels about the intertwined nature of sustainability. In the sustainability community, we know April as Earth Month. To celebrate, we're looking out into our larger community, to the town of Chapel Hill. Yes, this is a town and gown episode of the Sustainable Carolina podcast. With us today, we have John Richardson, Community Sustainability Manager for the town of Chapel Hill. UNC Chapel Hill's Chief Sustainability Officer, Mike Peeler, is here to talk with him. Thanks so much for being with us today, John. With the winding down of classes at Carolina, April always brings a time for reflection on the past year. And it's really hard to believe that it was last fall that we presented our individual and joint sustainability efforts at the Chapel Hill Town Council meeting. Your team has grown a lot in the past year, and I was wondering if you can tell me about the investment that the town is making in sustainability. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, for some context, um, in 2020, we were an office of one, that was me, um, and, and we were doing good projects collaboratively across departments and with partners. Uh, but we didn't have a unified plan and most of our projects were uh, grant funded. And so thanks to the Chapel Hill Town Council, uh, the town manager at the time, Maurice Jones, and with support from the Environmental Stewardship Advisory Board and others, we, uh, we started down this path of creating our first climate action and response plan. And for us, you know, the action is about decarbonizing and the response is about resiliency. And that plan was adopted by council in April of 2021. Uh, and by that fall, Uh, The council had also uh, appropriated an annual budget of nearly a half a million dollars uh, for implementation of the plan. And we were also well on our way to becoming an office of three. We'd hired our second staff member and knew that we would be hiring a third in the coming year. You know, the council's investments in climate action have not only been about project-based funding, which is really big for us, but it's also been about growing our organizational capacity. More recently, we were able to hire Elizabeth Houghton, uh, and Elizabeth is the town's first sustainability program coordinator. That's such a great story, building both the the financial capacity and the capacity in terms of, of expertise and people. And with that increase in capacity and continuing on the great work that you've done in the past and really just growing it out, comes recognition. Earlier this year, Chapel Hill received an A-list ranking from the Carbon Disclosure Project. What do you think is to credit for for this success? How do you think Chapel Hill succeeded in this really elevated manner? We look at the Carbon Disclosure Project as a benchmarking tool, you know, and and by participating and, and sharing information publicly, the, the real benefit we get is feedback about how well we're doing compared to what's considered best practice for local governments um, and, and for businesses and others who participate. Being an A-list city tells us that in terms of our local climate action efforts, we are uh, you know, currently doing the right things at the right time. Um, and with you know, climate action being a bit of a moving target, obviously, this kind of recurring feedback has a lot of value for us um, in terms of how we think about implementing our plan and also thinking about future updates. Our score, I think, is, a, is another positive reflection of the town council's investment uh, in climate action. Um, 
prior to having you know a regional resilience assessment and a climate action plan uh, to be honest we we really didn't score that well um, and I think it was efforts like those that kind of helped to transform how we how we fare in that process we are every year kind of revisiting where we need to be what it takes to stay at that best practice level I also think our close working relationship with you all the university is a really important piece. Um, particularly around, you know, things like goal alignment and research and implementation. To me, you know, the cities that are doing some of the best work have very strong connections to local and state universities. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think programs like this that, that recognize any of the partners as doing a great job, call out these best practices and, and make sure that our sustainability community working together is aware of all the things that we should and can be doing to move forward. So one of the things we like to do with this podcast, we like obviously to talk about the university's sustainability and different facets uh, of it and things we do to support it, our connections to partners, to research, things like that. But we're really interested in reaching out to the student community. And one of the things we like to do with our guests is talk to them about how they got where they are. So you've been with the town of Chapel Hill for almost 16 years. And we're just wondering how you feel the attitude um, towards sustainability has changed in that time, whether that's in the context of the municipality within the, the government that you work for or the people who live there. So I, I, I really like that question. I, um, I grew up in Durham, so I, I grew up having a sense about Chapel Hill and, and this impression, this feeling um, that it had a strong history of environmental stewardship and, and activism. And I think, you know, when I got back to the area and started working for the town in 2007, that, that impression was the same. And when I started, I was in the planning department. So my, my lens was looking at the world of, uh, you know, land use planning and transportation. And so, you know, I was noticing things that I, I didn't know about when I when I grew up in Durham. You know, policies and programs like the Resource Conservation District, which is uh, set up to protect you know the areas around our creeks and streams for water quality. The Urban Services Boundary, which uh, you know is designed to help limit sprawl by uh, you know preventing us from growing our infrastructure uh, beyond our capacity. Um, and, and then you know also of course clearly Chapel Hill is known for the transit system. These were the things that to me stuck out when I first got here. It's sort of a fun fact, but when I had when I first got here, unfortunately, we had just gotten rid of some of our earliest electric vehicles. Uh, for those who may remember the story of who killed the electric car, we actually had some electric vehicles uh, that charged here at Town Hall. They were the old Ford Rangers, uh, but they had been recalled by the auto the automaker. That was a little bit sad, obviously. But we also were, you know, doing work in high performance building standards. We had just built the transit facility and public works. I take no credit for any of those things that I just mentioned, but they were going on when I got here. We had PV installed on different buildings, you know, solar thermal. So we were also experimenting with things like biofuels and, you know, CNG. So in terms of a focus on climate though, initially Dr. Doug Crawford Brown from UNC, who came over from the university uh, to the council and really stressed the importance of carbon reduction in Chapel Hill. Um, as I understand it, Dr. Brown had just gotten back from uh, study abroad experience in the UK and was really inspired 
by their C-RED program, they called it, carbon reduction. It was not long thereafter that um, the town actually became one of the first cities in North Carolina to adopt carbon reduction goals. And then from there, it just sort of you know led to, to greenhouse gas emissions reduction inventories, both at the community level and organizationally. Fast forward a bit, in the last year or two leading up to the pandemic, I think I also noticed uh, a sharpened focus by our leadership, by our boards, by our community, certainly it was in the national conversation, saying that we needed to do more. You know, like I mentioned, we had lots of policies and programs and things we'd done, but it wasn't as organized as perhaps it could have been. And we hadn't updated some of our goals in a while. And so, you know, that climate uh, action planning effort um, really kind of energized us, no pun intended. That's a great story. And that connection to Doug Crawford Brown is awesome because I now sit in the position that he held when he made that outreach. So hopefully we are continuing on with that momentum, with that positive connection between the university and the town. Yes, definitely. So John, you've had the word sustainability in every position you've held with the town. And it's clear that you've made your career um, thinking about ways to cut emissions, to use less energy, to just be more efficient and things of that nature. And can you tell me um, what made you originally interested in sustainability in the first place? Yeah, my I would say my interest in the environment and sustainability really uh, you know, comes from my parents. I, I really, I think they were, they, they've both been very influential and inspiring people to me. Uh, that may sound a little cliche, but it, re- it really is true. Um, they are both plant people, uh, botanists by training. And with my mom, I also think about her work with a recycling startup in, in uh, Durham. It was known as SunShares, actually. And it eventually uh, led to citywide recycling. Um, but she also volunteered with Rails to Trails. So I do think her experiences helped me see, you know, that it was possible to have these connections between the environment and uh, and public service. My dad, he's been a college professor and researcher for years, 40 plus actually. He's done research all around the country and, and even around the world, Everglades, Iraq, all kinds of places. But the thing that I really, I think, uh, like the most about my dad's career and, and what I find really inspiring is that, you know, he spent the last um, decade or more thinking about what he's learned and applying that knowledge to uh, his campus and his community by helping to, uh, you know, restore and create a number of wetlands. That's fantastic. Yeah, I have some parallels as well, being involved in family recycling projects very early on. Certainly the family is, is often the root of a lot of the things that we end up committed to. So thinking about your college experience, did you foresee doing something like you do now? You know, I, I might be wrong, but I, I don't think that the job I have now was around when I was in college, um, which, may, <laughs> which may explain why I had a hard time figuring out what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I was, I was a bio major, uh, which for my small liberal arts college was uh, really about as close as one could come to environmental studies. After finishing up college, I bounced around, did some different things, um, even really actually for a time thought it was going to be environmental law. Oddly enough, it was a UNC law school uh, prospectus, you know, those those uh, 
I don't even know if they still give those out, but you know, it's the it's the document that talks about the program, and they were actually talking about a a dual degree program in law and urban planning. And the more I read about urban planning, the more I decided, hey, you know, that's that's a lot closer to what I think I might want to do. Um, went and got a master's in that, and that eventually brought me to municipal service, and you know, from from uh, planning to sustainability. Yeah, definitely did. So just a little bit of a twist on that. If you were to have a different job, could you imagine what that might be? Yeah, you know, I, you know, I think we all probably think about that from time to time, you know, what, what might that look like? And um, for me, I think, you know, maybe teaching on some level uh, or, or possibly communications. Um, I, I really enjoy working with students and working on interesting research questions. And we've uh, benefited from many uh, UNC interns and research projects over the years. And I think that's probably what, what puts that thought into my head. I, I also really enjoy learning about sustainability practices, uh, you know, that are being used by you know, businesses, uh, cities, universities. And I've always kind of thought, you know, it might be fun to actually uh, travel around because I like to travel and, and just learn and kind of write about what's working well in other places. So you talked a little already about early interactions with the university around sustainability. And I was just wondering, do you have any other examples or anecdotes that really illustrate that the collaborative spirit that seems to exist in a lot of that relationship? I can recall, uh, you know, early conversations with uh, Greg Ganji, uh, Kathleen Gray, again, kind of where we're starting to talk about, hey, well, we, we're, we're working on climate action, decarbonization. Um, we, we're thinking of, you know, doing an inventory, you know, is there some way we could collaborate on this? And I remember it was uh, Greg Ganji, I think, who, who really helped support the very first inventory that we did as an operation, so much so that we had funding from the university to get a graduate level student to support that work for the better part of a year. And I think uh, that individual, Brian Calloway, who was wonderful to work with, uh, ended up turning that into a master's uh, project. And then certainly, you know, with Kathleen Gray, also, you know, various internships and undergraduate capstones along the way to kind of support the growth of that work and explore it in different ways. And again, with student collaboration Absolutely. And another thing we did together just about was release our new climate action plans and yours is the climate action and response plan. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your process leading up to your climate action and response plan and how much you think it made a difference to have our plans released in in pretty close proximity in time. It's been one of my favorite collaborations, actually, and and we've talked about this, of course, but um, the the fact that you all authored a section of our plan, you know, describing your emissions reduction profile, talking about, you know, the different efforts uh, that have really made an impact over the years to curb emissions. You know, I I think that really made a statement. And I can remember the the council as we were putting the plan together. I remember them asking, you know, what sort of collaboration do we have with the university? How can we talk about this? A collaboration over the years um, and, and, and putting out those two documents at the same time, to me, just sort of speaks to this volume of work and this ongoing uh, effort to want to work together, you know, and you all supported things like green purchasing, 
you know, cl the climate action plan development that I mentioned, um, electric vehicle planning, uh, sustainable development practices. That's something we're working on right now, as you know. Uh, weatherization is an active topic. Um, you know, even early warning flood uh, alert systems, and, and we can certainly get into that more. But, you know, to me, this, this collaboration uh, it has been about win-win for students, researchers, and the town. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Well, your allusion to the early warning flood system is a perfect segue to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which was the Sustainable Triangle Field site at UNC that uh, the Institute for the Environment certainly helps motivate and supports a lot of the, the activity. And it's something that I've been directly involved in now for two years. And that was a, a really great way, I think, for us to work together, you and I, um, to to have a class that was focused on understanding the interface between the university and the town around sustainability issues. And this one, this one was about flooding. And you mentioned the, the early flood warning. We couldn't have foreseen it when we started, but it, it certainly ended up being a product. And I was wondering if you could maybe offer some takeaways from that specific work and your involvement in that, that semester in 2022. And also just this, this general framework of, of thinking about sustainability in a way that connects the university and the town. This one really ranks up there for me as one of my personal favorites. And I think part of it was just, just how well it came together um, and how um, energized everyone seemed to be about the work. And, and, and certainly the results kind of speak for themselves. But um, just for some, some added context, you know, like you were saying, we... We know um, we know that you know in in Chapel Hill and based on past flooding events, particularly in low lying areas of town, we've got um, buildings and and portions of our community that are um, particularly vulnerable to that kind of thing. The more we talked about it, it seemed particularly interesting to think about. Hey, are there ways to um, you know build on or or help to create you know this advanced early warning system? that would give us notice about uh, potential flood conditions that are likely to occur in these downstream areas. To me, Mike, the work that you all did as a team was just incredible because it, it showed that by placing these sensors, I think there were five, if I remember correctly, upstream to downstream along Bolin Creek, all along uh, public property, you know, the data showed that we could actually predict uh, flooding and when it was likely to occur based on this, this major rainfall event that's happened to occur during during the research. The, the data uh, beautifully showed that in that particular event, in that case, that we would have had about uh, 75 minutes of advanced warning. And for us, what's so cool about that is thinking about, okay, well, how do we translate that into our operation? How do we, how do we make that work uh, in a way that would actually benefit others? And but the idea here, of course, is to think about a permanent sensor network and, um, you know, this way of connecting that information to our emergency services team uh, and, and then thinking about who may be at risk and how we get information to those folks. Philosophically, I just love the idea of when the opportunity presents itself, doing a pilot project that isn't just testing out the function of sensors or something straightforward, but rather putting them in a place where you have this potential to generate really important information. And it was, it was an interesting experience for the students. We, we were sure to let them know how fortunate they were that it rained like that and that all their sensors worked and that everything aligned. 
Um, that I think is the beauty of these semester long experiences with, with group research is they get the reality of the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat because sometimes it just doesn't rain or things don't work. And that was just one of those great times when it aligned. And I thought it was really great for, for the town gown relationship and that it was a proof of concept that with, with even without a giant investment and without a whole bunch of outside input, we could get huge information and huge benefit from these sensors. So that's great news about um, obtaining that funding to expand the network. Could you just say a little bit about some of the other things that you are possibly going to be sensing? What we did in that project was just water level. Thinking about what would it look like to create a broader town-wide network of, of sensors, environmental sensors specifically, air quality, certainly water quality, water levels, as we discussed, um, rainfall, you know, heat, you, you name it. And We've, you know, we've, we've talked about this idea of becoming a smart city, which by definition tends to include these sensors. We, we do have sensors in place today. Um, certainly we've got some air quality sensors around town. We've got um, through the Feynman system, which is the flood inundation mapping and alert network through the state. We've, we've got sensors out there that do some of this work already. So in some ways it would be potentially about building this or enhancing it. It's just an exciting area. And I, as you alluded to, I think it's one of tremendous potential mutual benefit. So I know another one of the things that you all are thinking about in the town, and I say that as if I don't live and work here, but I do. But as, as things continue to grow, um, thinking about infrastructure and particularly infrastructure that's connected to sustainability, um, how are things going thinking about EV charging infrastructure, which is a really critical part of the, the energy transition? More than a year ago, we started down this road of creating a, a countywide map uh, to identify, you know, the places that could be most suitable for public level uh, level two EV charging stations. Um, and this, as you know, was a collaboration with uh, the university, Orange County. Uh, and the towns of, of Hillsborough and Carborough. And, you know, we feel like this, this mapping exercise will really serve us well as a, as a county, you know, as we're thinking about how to bring more of this, uh, this infrastructure to, to Chapel Hill. I also just want to so credit to um, Brennan Balma, who's really the leader on our team uh, for electric vehicle charging, the, the, the station installations, helping us think about our transition to a, a more electric fleet. Brennan has been working really hard on public stations as well as stations for our fleet. You know, the other thing I want to sort of point to on this particular topic is the fact that um, for the new Rosemary parking deck downtown, we are planning to have on day one when it opens uh, 20 additional EV charging stations. We're also planning that facility for uh, the electrical capacity to accommodate up to 20% of the spaces in that, in that total deck. Which is so important. And I think goes back to your comment earlier that when you were in college, the job you have now didn't really exist. Things are changing so fast. If you're not looking to what might 10 years or 20 years down the road be, you're going to be designing something that's necessarily obsolete. So that's great to hear. I'm really exciting about the Rosemary deck. Your job has the word resilience in it. And, and if the town of Chapel Hill is resilient, what do you think that includes? Some of it we've talked about, but what might that look like? 
We like to think about resilience as the ability for our community and the individuals who are here to to bounce back uh, and to bounce forward. We like to say, you know, to to thrive, but to bounce back and bounce forward quickly from disruptions, whether they are natural or otherwise. In terms of climate stressors, you know, as I think many of us know, th these things are likely to come in the form of extreme weather. One of the things that we're also really interested to, to better understand is who in our community will be most impacted by climate change. A project led by uh, by Dr. Angel Shu at UNC, who I, I know you know, and um, the work was on uh, heat sensors and, and heat mapping um, as part of the data-driven EnviroLab. Folks came out to different, um, <laughs> I guess, hot spots, you'd call them, around Chapel Hill. You know, basically, we sort of identified some areas together that we thought would be particularly warm, uh, you know, and by no surprise, places with fewer trees, more pavement. And volunteers walked these areas on a very hot day in August, um, wearing these uh, temperature sensors. And, um, you know, the data, not surprisingly, uh, shows that it was pretty darn high. And thinking about, you know, on the front end, just understanding, you know, what does this actually mean for us? How is this affecting us? We also have, I think, great examples of where, you know, volunteers who have led tree planting efforts over the last couple of years. Uh, I'm also thinking similarly about two town residents and really champions for the environment who have worked with us. They came to us and said, hey, we've got this idea about a Leave Your Leaves program. You know, I think that's part of, of building that resilience together, um, that long-term, in the case of Leave the Leaves, you know, that long-term ecosystem resilience. No, I think that's a great vision. And, and I love that it includes continuing and expanding our partnerships, because I think they've been really important and, and are really necessary as we take on the challenge that you laid out of of understanding the problems and trying to, to design just solutions to those problems that we face and be able to, to bounce back from the challenges. So John, I can't thank you enough. Happy Earth Day in advance. I appreciate your time. I value your partnership. You are one of the very best people I work with. So I look forward to, to future work with you in the town and, and hope that we can tackle some of these big challenges. Oh, Mike, thank you so much. It was so fun to talk to you and that was all so nice and all of that right back to you. Happy Earth Day. Happy Earth Day to you.